Coming up next on the Passion Struck Podcast. Honestly, I don't think I would be in the business that I'm in right now if it wasn't for my son's death. It's changed everything. And I feel like I've helped so many families now through my practice and hopefully even through my book now, but mainly my practice. And I guess that's my purpose. Welcome to Passion Struck. Hi, I'm your host, John R. Miles. And on the show, we decipher the secrets, tips, and guidance of the world's most inspiring people and turn their wisdom into practical advice for you and those around you. Our mission is to help you unlock the power of intentionality so that you can become the best version of yourself. If you're new to the show, I offer advice and answer listener questions on Fridays. We have long form interviews the rest of the week with guests ranging from astronauts to authors, CEOs, creators, innovators, scientists, military leaders, visionaries, and athletes. Now, let's go out there and become Passion Struck. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to episode 129 of Passion Struck, one of the top education and health podcasts in the world. And thank you to each and every one of you who comes back weekly to listen and learn how to live better, be better, and impact the world. I wanted to take this time to discuss a few of our recent episodes in case you missed them. Last week, I interviewed Rob Greenlee, who was one of my podcast idols and one of the foremost authorities on podcasting in the world. He's an inductee into the Podcast Hall of Fame and also was the former chairman of the Podcast Academy. We also had on 12-year-old animal activist, Kate Gilman-Williams, who is using her platform to create a worldwide movement around saving animals. And just yesterday, we had on Liz Foslin, who is from the duo behind the best-selling book, No Hard Feelings, and the wildly popular Liz and Molly Instagram. And during that interview, we conducted the official launch of their new book, which just released yesterday, which is titled Big Feelings, How to Be Okay When Things Are Not Okay. And lastly, my solo episode from last week, which we call Momentum Fridays, was on how do we actively unlearn fears? Please check them all out if you hadn't had a chance yet to listen to them. Now, let's talk about today's guest on the show. Lori Singer is a licensed psychotherapist and board certified behavioral analyst who heads the successful Lori Singer Behavioral Services in Camarillo, California. She uses integrated behavioral and cognitive therapy strategy to help those facing mental health issues. Lori also recently released her first book titled You're Not Crazy, Living with Anxiety, Obsessions, and Fetishes. Lori is an experienced and decorated endurance athlete competing in more than 100 marathons and many ultra marathons and Ironman triathlons. And today we discuss how she developed that early passion to compete in endurance challenges what it was like for her to be indoctrinated into the Hall of Fame because of that endurance career she's had, why she believes that anyone who is stuck can become unstuck, how she develops plans that helps individuals gain confidence by achieving their goals that they set for themselves. We discuss the strong scientific evidence and understanding that our thoughts, feelings, and behaviors are highly interdependent. How she helps those who suffer deeply from anxiety and its manifestations, and so much more. Thank you for choosing Passion Struck and choosing me to be your host and guide on your journey to creating an intentional life. Now, let that journey begin. Lori Singer, welcome to the Passion Struck Podcast. I am so excited to have you as a guest today. 
Thank you very much. I'm excited to be here. I wanted to start out with something that we both have in common, and that is um, we are both long distance runners. How did you first get into running and competing in long distance sports? I think because of my ADHD, I tend to just jump into everything without thinking about it, which has worked out really well for me and a lot of my life and the choices that I've made, because I don't think about things. <laughs> I just do it. <laughs> oh, you can run hundred miles. Really? Okay, I'll do it. <laughs> and then I train for it. But running has really been for me, I actually, I actually didn't start running until I was asked to join the cross country team at junior college. Uh, at the junior college level, when a scout was scouting the races, the local races in the area, I, I started running after the birth of my first daughter. And um, then after my son passed away, I was just kind of in a fog. And the cross country coach for Oxnard College asked me to come and run. And I was scared because I barely graduated high school. I almost failed out of high school and running taught me how to structure. And so I was able to go back to school and I ran cross country. I became the captain of the cross country team. And I actually graduated valedictorian of the junior college, which is amazing because I had to start at the baby math level. I could barely do anything. So I think the running, it taught me how to structure. It taught me that I could, it built up my self-esteem. It built up my self-esteem in, in many ways. And I, I can't tell you how it influenced my life. Even with the death of my son, when he was in the hospital, I would go out on the balcony and I bring my jump rope. And while other parents were either smoking cigarettes or whatever they were doing out there, I was jumping rope. Uh, you know, while while I could, if my, you know, my husband would give me a break, I would go jump rope for 30 minutes and come back in. So it was. It was my therapy for a long time and still is actually, it still is my therapy. When I attended junior college, I was still juggling, grieving over my son, um, trying to raise a daughter with at five years old is when my, her brother died and trying to help her through that. Um, and then at the same time, I miscarried twins in, you know, with all of this going on, uh, but I, I just really think that the running gave me balance no matter what. I was able to go back to that. And it's that, that feeling that I don't think you can get with anything else as far as, well, you know, I do uh, endurance biking as well. And now I'm into backpacking long distances. So uh, I just, I, I never stopped. Well, out of all the challenges that you've done um, and you've just listed a whole, whole bunch of things that <laughs> the majority of people don't do, uh, what has been the most challenging out of all the competitions that you've, you've uh, competed in thus far? I think it's hard to say. Well, I know when I ran my first hundred mile run in a, you know, in a race, it was, that was unbelievable. For me, it was unbelievable because you're getting ready to, you have to do it in a certain amount of time or you don't, get a belt buckle. That sounds kind of silly, <laughs> but that's what you, you don't get the award at the end. And so um, 
when you're getting ready to cross, it was just very emotional for me, you know, oh my gosh, I just completed a hundred miles in the time frame. It would have had to be under 30 hours. And I think I was like 29 hours and 30 minutes or something. Uh, but whatever it was, I, I completed it. And, you know, what's interesting is that it's almost like the first time I ran 50 miles, it was very emotional. The first time I ran a hundred miles, the first Ironman I ever completed I think it just gives you a sense of, wow, I can really do this. It's mind over matter, mind over matter. And it's amazing what you can accomplish when you just set your mind to it. Well, I had a podcast guest almost a year ago on, on the podcast. Her name is uh, uh, Cindy Hooper, and she lives in Ottawa. And her triathlon story to me was one of the most amazing ones I have ever heard. She she did the Whistler uh, full triathlon um, while still on chemotherapy and three months after undergoing Whipple surgery for pancreatic cancer, where they removed a third of her pancreas, half her stomach and her, her bile duct, along with other things. Um, and to me, just the willpower to be able to, to, to do that in that condition is, is truly uh, remarkable. It's that mental toughness, but that's actually a catch 22 because sometimes we want people that uh, uh, com compete or participate in long distance events where your threshold to pain is so high, it could not serve in your best interest as well. I know when I had to qualify to get in the 100 mile run Western States, which is like the Boston Marathon of 100 milers, and at mile 12, I snapped my ankle one way and then I snapped it the other way. I was so disappointed because I was running it on my son's birthday. So it meant a lot to me. And then to have snapped it both ways, I went to the aid station and they said, you're never going to finish this race. And I just started bawling because I have to do this. I've worked so hard for my son. And one of the volunteers there could see how much it meant. He said, you know what? Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to wrap up your ankle and you go as far as you want to go. And that's what I did. I went another 31 miles on a double fractured ankle until I just couldn't do it anymore. And they had to drag me off the course, wow. <laughs> take me to the hospital. That itself yeah. is another remarkable story of your mind can do so much. I'm going to do a segue and you've brought it up now a couple of times. Um, but when your son was two years old, he was going through a, a tremendous sickness and unfortunately uh, lost his battle with it. Um, and I'm very sorry to, to hear that. Uh, a loss of, of any child is traumatic, especially one um, that young. But I wanted to ask, how has that event changed the course of your life um, and what you're doing today? Well, it's, it's uh, interesting that you say that because, um, you know, I still have a hard time, but I'm beginning to see now the bigger picture. My son, well, my son was perfectly fine until uh, about two and a half months before his second birthday. And then he started crying and crying. And I thought, oh, he must have an ear infection. So I took him to the doctor and they said, no, he's fine. He doesn't have an ear infection. And then that night, Again, he was just screaming, crying. I said, there's something wrong with him. So I went back and I waited before when they opened the door. What they found out after doing, finally getting him to take a um, MRI and all that. What was happening was he had a tumor in his stomach that nobody knew about. 
And it was actually crushing his spine. That's why he was crying because his spine was being crushed. And so we found out that's what it was. From that moment on, we pretty much lived at Children's Hospital in LA uh, almost till the day he died. They told us he would have, he went paralyzed. And then they told us, well, you'll probably have a year with him. And I was really young at the time. I was 25 at the time. And we had a five-year-old. And um, so I, uh, well, we were like, well, we'll just take whatever we can get. If we just have a year. We're going to take a year and we're, we're going to spend time with them. But when we took him home that night, the next morning, he woke up and he was saying night, 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 night. And we're like, what do you mean night, night? And what was happening was that now the cancer had gone to his brain. So he went blind and we had, uh, he went back to children's hospital and about two weeks later, he passed away. And I, I, I wanted to give back in some way. I didn't know what to do. So I read the book when bad things happen to good people. And it said in there, if you do some type of tribute to your child that died, it, it kind of, it, it puts meaning into it in some way. So I was a runner and my friends helped me organize a run. And I, with the money, what we did was we donated it to children's hospital, but we, we wanted to buy the kids toys. Cause when we were there, our son, there was only three or two VCR machines back in the day, you know, the VCR. So everybody on the floor, all those kids, nobody could watch TV because they didn't, really have anything. They had no games for them. They had no toys. When we'd bring our daughter, she had nothing to do there. There was like a Mr. Potato Head with one eye and a lip or something. And so we said, let's let's give all of our money uh, to the kids' playroom. At that time, it was called the kids' playroom. And um, now it's our, we just had our 35th annual event for Children's Hospital and what we started turned into something much bigger. Now it's called the, um, it's it's the Children's Playroom, but what they have there is they have therapists that work with the kids. They have therapists that work with the siblings. I mean, they have computers there. It's just amazing what they have at that at that unit on Four West in Children's Hospital. And they wouldn't have had it. We, we started it, which is unbelievable. And a friend of ours, Unfortunately, her daughters had a daughter with cancer and was on Four West, and we were able to see how much it helped her. So now looking at the bigger picture, I can say, okay, this, maybe this is why he got sick. I don't know. I mean, I, I hate to, to say that he suffered. He suffered so much. I wish it didn't have to happen that way, but we're able to help all these families and all these kids. And honestly, I don't think I would be in the business that I'm in right now if it wasn't for my son's death, it's changed everything. And I feel like I've helped so many families now through my practice and hopefully even through my book now, but mainly my practice. And I guess that's my purpose. Well, I think that that is going to be a great backdrop for the rest of um, today's podcast. And I'm sorry he had to go through any suffering at all. Well, I want to pivot from there to to talk a little bit about your practice um, and specifically um, what are the clientele that you try to help, especially using with what happened with your son as a backdrop as the lens through which you do it? Initially, I was going to be a social worker. 
because when I was in the hospital and the kids were sick and I would see the families back then they had wards, by the way, we didn't even have our own room. We had to share a room with like three other families. Could you imagine? And we weren't allowed to spend the night in the room with the child. They would make us leave. But what my husband and I would do is we would sneak back in and some nurses would let us stay. Other nurses would, would not let us stay. But I wanted to give back to the families because I saw how some of them are, we, we were lucky. We had a very close family. My mother and father-in-law and my dad helped us. It's tremendous support, but some families didn't have that. And I wanted to know how can I give back? So I thought I'll work with families um, that have some type of disability or they need something in some way. And uh, so I started working with kids with developmental disabilities once I got my bachelor's degree. And then I wanted to go out on my own. And of course, my ADHD, okay, I'll just get, I'll just get a license (laughs) five years later down the road with education, but it was all, it's all worth it. And so my first clientele was pretty much just with developmental disabilities and anywhere from age two to age 60. And then it started to build because I started to realize, uh, well, more people started to seek me out and they were saying, well, I have anxiety or I have this OCD behavior and they didn't have a developmental disability. And I thought, well, let's try what I'm using with these individuals and, 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 and make the program for you, which was the cognitive behavioral therapy and the behavioral therapy combined together. And it was very successful, very successful. And that opened the door for just typical, typical neurotypical individuals that have a lot of debilitating maladaptive behaviors that they want to change. And then parents started bringing their kids in saying, you know, my child has severe anxiety or my child has obsessive compulsive disorder, whatever it is. Uh, And so I started working with neurotypical individuals as well. And my actually, it's interesting, because now I even have clients, I have like five clients that are in their 70s, one just turned 78. I find that so amazing, because they at this, and, and a couple of them have said to me, I've tried for so many years to find a therapist and, and nobody could really help me, especially with the OCD part of it. You know, there, there's always medication, but the OCD part of it, um, a lot of therapists, or at least the ones that they tried to, to work with, were not able to help them. And, and they, they're very determined, and they've made significant progress. So it's exciting. That is exciting. And I wanted to spend a little bit of time, now that you introduced that, um, kind of talking about some of the things that are going around in society right now, because I kind of wanted to ask you what you're seeing from your perspective. Um, The part of the reason I started Passion Struck in this podcast is because I think a majority of the population today is living in what I call mediocrity and in service of self versus humanity. And I think there are groundswells of people globally right now who are seeking higher wisdom and purpose in their lives. And they're on all extremes, rich and poor, progressive and conservative, young and old, but mainly more and more people, um, I think are feeling lonely, 
helpless, disengaged, battered, bruised, whatever you want to say it. And at this moment in time, there's a deep concern overall for where society is, you know, heading the erosion of our human values, the assaults of our attention brought on by, you know, the digital age and social media and the growing rise of materialism and, and egomania. Um, and I, I just wanted to see if that description is consistent to any of the things that you're seeing as well. Oh, this things are, I'm not going to use, I, I'm not going to say out of control because <laughs> that's not going to do anybody any good, but I think, well, the, there's the good news is that people are seeking help and that therapy is not such a negative term anymore where people are okay with going to therapy and um, they want to try and get themselves in a better place. I, I, you know, I, I don't know. I, I have such a wide variety of individuals that I work with. Um, some of the elderly ones that I mentioned they're skin pickers. And I don't know if you're familiar with that, but it's an OCD behavior and where they, they pick their skin to where it's bleeding. I mean, there's scabs all over and this is brought on by anxiety. And, uh, I think uh, a lot when we, I give them, you know, they have to collect data on their behavior and find out what it is. The triggers are, and typically the triggers are some of the social restrictions that are being placed on them now, or their concern about the future. Now, this is people that are in their 70s, but this also happening with kids that I work with that are 10 years old and seven years old, where the social distance learning has isolated them. And one of them, in fact, when this when the first lockdown happened, he drew a picture of a tombstone and his name was on it. And he, because he was so depressed about the isolation. So working with him in that and trying to get him to focus on the positive and what are the positives helped him through that. So that's a younger one and the older ones. Then I have the uh, adolescent ones who are so wrapped up in the social media uh, and more so because they can't, they were unable or restricted in their socialization. They couldn't go to high school. They couldn't go to college. So what do they have? They have social media. So then they end up developing body dysmorphic disorder, because they're taking all these pictures of themselves and placing them on the internet. And what if they don't get a positive reaction, then they think there's something wrong with them. Um, and they go into the self-harm or suicidal ideation. So there, I think if you break it up, different age groups are suffering for different reasons. Does that make sense? No, it makes sense. And I think one of the topics that we aren't talking about enough is the idea of loneliness. Um, because I think one of the things that we strive for in humanity is human connection. But when you're in lockdown or restriction or forced to not be able to go to school or be isolated at school and other things, you've got this new found loneliness that's expanded upon the loneliness that was there before because people are now trying to seek out human connection, but they're doing it online or in a digital way. And in many ways, it's not real. So what they're finding is it's compounding the loneliness that they already have, which to me is one of the backdrops to why since 1999 in the United States, suicide rates 
keep rising 25% and above. And why that age group, I, I think it's 18 to, to 24, globally, the fourth leading cause of death right now is, is suicide. Um, so it, it is a huge problem that um, it has only gotten worse, I think, during these past couple of years with COVID. Oh, I agree. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. I, um, it's interesting because I, my husband and I went to a concert last night and sitting next to me, there was a gentleman, um, we all wore masks, but he had a double mask on and he, I don't, oh, I think there was an announcement that you have to wear your mask and we're all wearing masks. And then he said to me, I had seven of my relatives uh, die from COVID. Now this gentleman because it's an older man. <laughs> he was probably in his seventies. And I said, Oh, that's, you know, that's too bad. I'm sorry to hear that. Um, I said, I work in the mental health industry and we have a lot of individuals that are suffering right now from the isolation. In fact, we had a woman jump out a window and now she's paralyzed from the waist down. And he said, well, how come we don't hear about that? And I said, I don't know. I don't know, but it is a big, issue and it's a big concern. I worry about my grandkids. We will be right back to our episode with Lori Singer. I would like to emphasize that this podcast is part of my desire and effort to bring zero cost information to the general public regarding how to unlock an intentional life. And in keeping with that theme, I would like to thank the sponsors of today's episode. Our next partner has a product I literally use every day. I started taking Athletic Greens nine months ago because I wanted to achieve optimal performance and better gut health. And I can tell you it does that and so much more. I've actually noticed an overall improvement in sleep quality, recovery from my daily workouts, and so much better mental clarity. I take it first thing in the morning with an eight ounce glass of water and in it, it contains 75 high quality vitamins, minerals, whole food, source superfoods, probiotics, and aptogens to help you start your day right. And with all the stressors around us, this is such an easy way to solve your daily nutrition and it costs you less than $3 a day. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you do is visit athleticgreens.com slash passionstruck. Again, that is athleticgreens.com slash passionstruck to take ownership of your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. Today's podcast is brought to you by Raycon. I know this year I'm all about new challenges and there's no better way to do them than with a pair of Raycon wireless earbuds in your ears, which look, feel, and sound better than ever. With optimized gel tips for the perfect in-ear fit, you don't have to worry about them falling out of your ears as you do your hit, crossfit, biking, gym days, running, or walking. And they're priced just right at half the price of other premium audio brands. It's no surprise they have over 48,000 five-star reviews. And right now, Passionstruck listeners can get 15% off their Raycon order at buyraycon.com slash passionstruck. That's B-U-Y-R-A-Y-C-O-N.com slash passionstruck to save 15% on Raycons. Buyraycon.com slash passionstruck. Thank you so much for listening to and supporting the show. We know all those codes and URLs can be difficult to remember, so we put them all in one convenient place at passionstruck.com slash deals. Please consider supporting those who support the show and make it possible. Now, back to my interview with Lori Singer. I do too, and that's why um, as far as brands that I associate myself with on this podcast, I've specifically 
partnered with BetterHelp and Talkspace because I know for me, it took me years to deal with my own trauma and my own issues. Um, and, you know, as a result, I reached a point where I was severely depressed, numb, um, you know, felt apathy to the world. And I don't wish that on anyone. So for me, any way that I can make seeking a therapist easier um, and something that people will do, whether it's that or bringing on guests like you, I, I, I'm trying to break down this societal um, image where people don't want to get therapy because I think therapy is one of the most important things you can do for your physical health, mental health, spiritual health, and emotional health. Um, yet a lot of people try to avoid it because of the stigma. Um, so what would be your advice for a senior executive, didn't think you had time for it, worried to show the world that things weren't going the greatest inside you, but you, you internalized it. How do you seek out that help? Well, typically I will talk to people on the phone first, you know, when they are interested or they've heard my name. Uh, but I tell them that my therapy, which is true, it's very solution focused. So I, I will listen to somebody's background because of course that's what, uh, how you developed your coping mechanisms that ended up being maladaptive later on in life. They weren't healthy, but, uh, I would say, um, that my therapy solution focused, you have to be involved in it, uh, collect data and all of that. Uh, then when I write an individual's be individualized behavior plan and you have to want to change. I mean, that's the bottom line. What's going on in your life? Are you debilitated right now? Are you stuck? Do you feel like you're stuck? Because let's get you unstuck. Let's get you to move forward. You can only be stuck for so long. Or is this the way you want to live the rest of your life? Because you have two choices. You can get out of this and I can help you get out or you can stay where you are, which would be a shame because you don't have to live the rest of your life like this. You have a choice. Let me help you with that choice. And really, that's one of the reasons why I wrote my book is because I have a lot of physicians in the area, whether they're pediatricians, dermatologists, psychiatrists, and psychologists who refer patients to me because they know that what I do works and it's, I don't want to, I don't want to keep a client for a long period of time. My goal is to give you the tools that you need to help you through this. So you can use them throughout your life. Um, that's, that's, that's the way that I feel. For well, I think that's a great backdrop because I have spoken about this a lot on the podcast. I did a whole episode on the importance of choice. And when people come to me and they say, I hear what you're saying on the podcast. I heard the stories that you've shared. When they come back to me and say, well, where do I start? And I always say, it comes down to you making a choice. Because all around us, there are choices that we make every day. And, and the way I like to talk about it is I think in our subconscious, we make most of these choices choices on autopilot. Where do you get your gas? How do you drive your commute? How do you drop your kids off for school? Your routine in the morning, where you shop for your groceries. But the most important choices in our lives, we also make on autopilot. And it's becoming intentional about those choices that you're making 
and doing something about them that I think makes the difference. So I think your whole point about choice is just something I wanted to highlight. And I think this is a great lead into uh, your book, You're Not Crazy, Living with Anxiety, Obsession, and Fetishes. And, you know, I, I have a book coming out here in a few months, but I always like talking to authors to hear, you know, what was the motivation, you know, that led you to write it? Well, it was mainly pediatricians and uh, a couple of psychologists. They said, you know, Lori, this stuff really works. You should write a book like a self-help book. And I thought, well, that's a great idea. Um, but then once I, when I started, I started the book initially probably five years ago, but then my mother got sick and um, developed cancer, which is a whole nother thing because I never even thought I would help my mother out anyway, because she abandoned our family when I was 10 years old. My mom was an alcoholic and a drug addict and left our family. And my father raised all three of us. And so, you know, if somebody would have asked me, yeah. And so if somebody would have asked me, if somebody would have told me, Lori, guess what? Your mom is going to come back in your life when you're in your forties and you're going to take care of her when she's dying. I would have said, that's not possible. There's no way that's happening. But again, here we go back to, I had a choice. I had a choice to try and have, um, a relationship with my mom, it would never be an ideal relationship. It would be the only relationship that we could have, or I could ignore her and let her live on her own. And how, how sad would that be? Um, so I made a choice and I helped her and I reintroduced her to her grandkids, spent time with her up until she died. And, you know, every time that I saw her, the first words were out of, out of her mouth were, I'm so sorry for what I did. When, when you were young, I'm so sorry. So here she had to live with that her whole life. She's still not, you know, up until the day she died, she probably regretted it, but you know, we're all human. We all make bad choices. Hers was a really bad choice. Uh, but then again, you know, that was her choice to, to leave us. Uh, it was very traumatic, which I didn't deal with until after my son's death. So talk about waiting to get, you know, to get therapy or help. Well, so for the audience who doesn't know anything about uh, your book, can you just give a little bit more color commentary on some of the approaches that you take in it? I have six case studies in the book, and each case study, it tells us. Get ready to supercharge your hiring experience with Indeed, our fantastic partner. We at PassionStruck are all about seeking smarter, more efficient ways to do things, and Indeed perfectly aligns with this philosophy when it comes to hiring. It's more than just a job site. It's a comprehensive platform that revolutionizes the way you find the perfect candidates. With its powerful matching engine and over 350 million global monthly visitors, Indeed streamlines the hiring process, bringing top talent straight to you. No more sifting through endless unqualified resumes. Indeed does the heavy lifting just for you. And what I love about Indeed is its ability to centralize all your hiring activities from scheduling interviews and screening applicants to messaging candidates. It's all in one place. During my career, I've hired thousands of employees and I only wish I had Indeed's efficiency and speed back then. And here's a fact that absolutely blows my mind. 93% of employers, according to a recent survey, say Indeed delivers the best quality matches over other job sites. That's quality and speed 
hand in hand. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at indeed.com slash passionstruck. Just go to indeed.com slash passionstruck right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash passionstruck. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. I know all those discount codes are difficult to remember, so we put them all at passionstruck.com slash deals. Now, back to Passionstruck. Story about uh, the individual and how their behavior manifested. What stories struck me as success stories and unbelievable because some of these patients that come to see me, you never know if they're going to follow through and come through the other side. And then the ones that do, it's just so amazing to me that again, it's the human strength and mentality, the same as in sports, that if they have that drive and you're there to help them through it, they can, they can come out the other side. So what I do in my practice, which is a little bit different, is I combine cognitive behavioral therapy and behavioral therapy. And the difference is that cognitive behavioral therapies is how do we change those irrational thoughts and replace them with positive thoughts? Because it can be done. Our mind is very powerful. And if we can retrain our thought process, because our thoughts create emotions and those emotions are exhibited through our behavior. So if we can change our thoughts, we'll change our emotions and that way we'll change our behavior. It, it really does work. So now the, the behavioral aspect of it is how do we change our environment? Because our environment a lot of times influences our behavior. If we were, if we had a problem with, with alcohol, we probably would throw all of the bottles out in, in the house. We wouldn't be working as a bartender, right? And we would want to surround ourselves with people who are sober. So that would be one environmental change. In my book, I, I put what, what I do with each client, I, I put in the book. There's actually a workbook in the back of the book. And it'll tell, it has a data sheet in there. It has um, the visuals that I use because visuals is a part of how do you change your environment. You could have something on your wall in your office that says, stay calm and think positive. And you look at that and you go, okay, I'm going to do that. It's a reminder right? It reminds us to do that. And then how to write a motivational story. A motivational story is another, um, it's another tool that I have in my book and I use with my clients. When I gather information, I write a story specifically for them on how they can change your behavior and what that would look like for them. And in the book, there's a step-by-step on how to write your own story as well. And there's a, also a, uh, a weekly schedule that you would fill out. So I would give you, I would tell you, okay, read your motivational story in the morning. The signal plan, which I have in the book is based on just a signal. Red means stop. Yellow means make a choice. Green means go. I'm going to use a strategy. I'm going to take a deep breath. I'm going to think of something positive. And things like this that sound very simple I, I've worked with doctors, pilots that have come into my office with OCD or some other you know, behavior that they want to change. And some of them will say to me, well, this sounds very babyish. I don't even know if I should, you know, I don't see how this is going to work. And I say, you know, just give it a try. If you really stick with it, it will work. And it ends up that they follow it and, and it, and it works. They start 
they start to engage in a new learned behavior or replacement behavior. That's another thing I, I didn't mention that if you're, let's say you're trying to quit smoking, what would you replace that behavior with? Not food, because we don't want you to get overweight, right? But maybe you would change the smoking cigarettes to chewing gum or going for a walk or anything else other than smoking. So you have a replacement behavior. Does that make sense, John? It does. And I liked your whole bit about motivational storytelling, because at the end of the day, our life is a story. We are storytellers in our own life. And you've got an opportunity in it because you're the main character in it to either be the hero of that story, or you can be the villain in that story. And that choice is up to you. If you start viewing your life differently as if it's you were writing the story and someone's watching it play out, who would you much rather play? Because I'd much rather play the motivational hero than I would the diabolical villain. So I think what you're saying um, has a lot of truth to it. If someone hasn't gone through CBT, um, and I guess cognitive processing therapy is kind of a subset of CBT, is how I would look at it. What I found when I was going through it, that subconsciously I had buried these mental thoughts that were pervasively impacting how I was living life. And in many ways, they were causing me not to live who I authentically was because I was hiding aspects of myself because of these conditions that I was putting on myself. CPT, it's called stuck points. But really, I was having these self-destructive thoughts. Well, when you start backing into that statement, you know, it, it seems ridiculous, you know, now that I look back, because think of all the people in authority I have dealt with throughout my life who haven't done me any harm. Um, and so I was really caught in this subconscious stuck point that I would have dealt with years ago, because until we started really going through some of the trauma I had experienced, I didn't even realize that subconsciously I was feeling this way until we really just started talking about it. So if you're not being real with yourself, nothing's going to change. But when I started really being real with myself and facing some of these inner demons, on the other side of it, I felt like this huge weight had been lifted off my shoulders. And then I went through prolonged um, exposure therapy and then that was even more brutal because you're reliving a yes. you know, probably your yes. most traumatic event again and again and again. But on the, on the other side of it, what I would tell people is that we all face trauma. You can either hold on to it or you learn how to let it go. But holding on to it is not helping you in any way. Um, it's only making you a much less viable person. Yes. So that is very, it's interesting that you say that because, um, I never, I didn't go to therapy until I was in my master's program at school so that I could get my license to become a therapist. Cause I knew I wanted to practice behavioral therapy. So I thought, well, I guess I have to go to school to become a counselor. And so much like you in a way, I never dealt with my mom's alcoholism and what I witnessed in my house was horrible living with an alcoholic parent and a drug addict at the same time, I kind of shoved everything deep inside me and never dealt with it. Um, so when I did go to therapy to get my hours towards my, uh, 
masters. That's why I went to therapy. But then when I started telling her about my childhood, she just looked at me and said, well, that's not a normal childhood. And I said, oh, okay. And so that's when we started doing work together. And she dug stuff up out of me that I never thought I was going to deal with. Uh, And it's very difficult to, because you hide those feelings and emotions and events for so long. And then to kind of get them out of you, it's very traumatic. I think, you know, it's a lot to deal with, but at the same time, it's uh, like you said, it's, it's as if you're wearing a backpack full of rocks and the backpack's taken off and you just, there's a sense of relief. Yeah. I always, uh, kind of look at it now that I was wearing a shroud where I had a mask on, where I was showing a different version of myself to people than what was behind the mask. Now that the mask has been lifted, everything changed. You feel more fulfilled in what you're doing. Your confidence goes up. So many benefits to it. All that said, a lot of people have misconceptions about therapy. So if you were someone listening to this podcast right now, and you're completely on the fence about doing this, what are some of the misconceptions that, that you've seen and what would you tell someone to do if they're sitting in that situation? Well, I would, I would, first, I would say, if you can get a therapist that's recommended to you, if you know of anybody that recommends one or your doctor, because I think that is a big thing. You know, there's, there's bad doctors, good doctors. There's, you know, there's, and not everybody is a good fit for everybody either. Like I might recommend somebody to you. And then you say, Oh, that was a horrible fit for me. Why did you tell me to, you know, why did you suggest that Lori? But I would go with somebody that maybe was recommended to you. And then I would ask yourself, like again, you know, in the beginning, when I said, is this how you want to live the rest of your life? You don't have to. You don't have, you can be happy. Even if you're 70 or 80, there's still, there's years left in your life. And why wouldn't you want to, why wouldn't you want to try to, to, to be a happier person, to live more contently? Um, I, I don't know. That's the way I looked at it. That's the way I would look at it. What's it going to hurt? I mean, well, you have to divulge some things that might be painful, of course, but I've just seen People come out the other side and so happy and so thankful that they made that change, that that's why I would suggest it. And listen, if, if you start it and you don't like it, it just means you're not ready yet. That's all. That, that's the way I look at it because the tools that you're just not ready. Yes. And I'm not a therapist. I'm not a medical professional in any way. I have taken antidepressants and other things. Um, that for me personally did more harm than good. Um, But I am a true believer that if you do therapy and you work on yourself and you get your headspace right, um, and you're currently on that medication, there are paths for you to get off of it where you won't need it anymore. Because that's how I am today. I'm happy I'm off of it because each one of those drugs has benefits and I'm not going to say that they don't, but they also have side effects. Um, and some work for some people and some don't. So, and I agree with you on that. And some of my clients, they come in because they don't want to take medication. And I tell them, you know, I could write you the best behavioral plan in the world, but if you are so anxiety ridden or you're so depressed, you will not be able to follow my plan that I've written for you. So, and I, if you're completely against it, we can try it without, 
But if you're not able to utilize the strategies that I've written for you, then we need to go back and rethink that maybe you could just start on medication. Once you maintain where we want you for a while, then let's have you back off and, and take it from there. But initially, sometimes medication, you have to use it. Not always, but sometimes. Sometimes a person is in such a depressed state or anxious state that that is the intervention that's needed to allow them to do the other work. The analogy I use about therapy is there was a time where I felt like I had a brick wall in front of me and what I was doing was adding bricks on, on top of it. And on the other side of therapy, there was nothing there. And I got to lay new bricks down and build a completely new structure for the way I wanted my life to go. Because I don't think whether you're 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, 80, there's any point in life that you can't make changes and you can't decide to make your life different than how it's been. Because the past is just that and your future and present are completely different and malleable if you want them to be. Absolutely. And I think sometimes if you get the right therapist, they, that's what they're there for. They're your support team. I think a support team is so important um, to have and to encourage you to stay on that, that new path. I think that's yeah, that, really important. And that's why I think this whole new um, science that's unfolding now around post-traumatic growth um, is so important uh, because you know, that's a great vehicle to use trauma to create growth in your life. I mean, that's really what being resilient is, is all about, is overcoming life's adversities and growing out of them um, to be a better person. I agree. And I think, you know, like you have some, you've suffered a lot of trauma in your life, but that's, that's what's helped you and enabled you to help all these other individuals that, that watch your show or that talk to you and call you or work with you, you have that empathy and that ability. And you wouldn't have had that if you unfortunately wouldn't have had some of the trauma you experienced. No, I wholeheartedly, um, I didn't want to admit it at first. I didn't want to be vulnerable about it at, at first. Once you get the mindset that you want to help people and you don't want people to go through the hell that you've been through, makes it easier over time to talk about it to the point that I recently had a podcast um, a couple weeks ago with Andrew Marr, who runs the Warrior Angels Foundation. And he talks about coming back from his time as a Green Beret in Afghanistan, and his whole life was falling apart. He was drinking throughout the day. He wasn't paying attention to his family. He was having cognitive issues, mental issues, depression, anxiety. Um, and then he got help for it. And on the other side of it, he feels he's stronger now than he's ever been. But for a lot of people, if you don't take that point correction, that's exactly what's leading to people falling into despair and further going into homelessness and, and other things that we talked about. Well, um, I wanted, Lori, to give you an opportunity um, as we're nearing the end of the podcast to tell the audience, um, and I will put it in the show notes, how they can learn more about you how they can learn more about me. Well, I think- And reach out to you if they want to. Yeah. Sure. Right. So there's the website for my book is yourenotcrazybook.com. So it's Y-O-U-R-E, notcrazybook.com. And you can email me from there. 
and, and get in touch with me. And I'm always happy to talk to anybody that um, wants to reach out to me. So they can email me from there. I also have another website for my company, which is lauriesingerbehavioralservices.com. And you can reach one website from the other. So uh, either way, you can get a hold of me. Okay. And I always end the episode by doing just a quick rapid round of questions. It's kind of the first thing that comes to your head. So um, the first one I was going to ask, and it's one of my favorites, is what are five things that you can't live without? And they could be people, places, things. Okay. Well, I would have to say it's funny. It used to be my kids. For, well, my grandkids. So I'll say family. I, I guess it would be my family. I love my family. And uh, then it would have to be running or biking. Any any athletic event. I I don't know if I could live without. Um, and five things. That's a lot of things. Travel. I like to travel. New experiences. Now that I'm into backpacking. And the fifth thing would be my dog. Okay. Well, those are a great five. (laughs) Is there a personal motto um, that you tell yourself or advice that you live by? I don't think I, I'm not sure if I do. I just, I, I, maybe it would have to be try and think positive and also that you can't control everything, which is a hard, that's a hard one that you have, you know, we're all human and we just can't control everything. We just have to succumb and be flexible. If there was someone that you have never met before, whether they're deceased or alive, that you had the opportunity um, to have a cup of coffee with, who would that be? Somebody who's deceased or alive that I've never met and I could have a cup of coffee with them. I think it would have to be I want somebody that I can have an intelligent conversation with and maybe I don't know how I don't know if I could relate to him. Let me think. Um, maybe Skinner on behaviorism. Okay. That's what I have to say. Yeah, I've always wanted to meet Tesla. I, I just always think it would be such a fascinating fascinating conversation to understand. Um, how he could know all the things he knew during the time period he lived. Um, and then the last one is, is uh, I've had an opportunity to interview a number of astronauts on the podcast. And so a fun question I like to ask is, if you got selected to the mission of Mars and the world government said, as you went to Mars, you could establish an edict or a law or a way of living what would be one thing that you would put in place? An exercise program. <laughs> so f- <laughs> physical health. Okay. That's right. Physical health. That's exactly what I would do because I really think that our physical health influences our mental health. And I, and I, when I work with somebody, I always make sure that that is in their weekly agenda, that they do some type of physical activity. Cause I really do think it helps. My morning habit is the first thing I do um, before I do anything is I I do physical exercise um, because I think it does so much to wake up the body, get your systems going, get your energy pumping. And I try to get um, a sweat or early 
in the morning because I think it releases endorphins and other things, helps you with cortisol and, and gets your whole body going. So complete believer in that. Well, Lori, thank you so and much for coming up. Yeah, go ahead. I was just saying, and it sets the tone for the day. I'm the same way, you know? I mean, I think it sets the tone for the day. You're out there exercising and um, sets the tone. I think it's a positive way to start the day. Absolutely agree. Well, Lori, thank you so much for coming on the podcast and sharing all your expertise. Uh, I know the audience is going to love this and I really appreciate you doing it. I had so much fun. Thank you very much for inviting me. I appreciate it. Well, thank you again, Lori. All right. Take care. It was really nice talking with you. I thoroughly enjoyed that interview with Lori, especially since I also have a bit of an endurance athletic background myself. And I wanted to mention, if you're new to the show or you just want to introduce this to friends or family members, we now have episode starter packs, both on Spotify and on our website. These are collections of our fans' favorite episodes that we organize by topic to make it so much easier for you to get acquainted to everything that we do here on the show. Just go to passionstruck.com slash starter packs to get started. And if you'd like to watch these in addition to listening to these episodes, you can check out our YouTube channel at John R. Miles, where we have over 270 different videos, both long form content like today's and much shorter videos we call Mindset Moments, which are typically two to five minutes long. Please go check it out and subscribe. And lastly, we so much appreciate all the five-star ratings you guys are giving to us. And if you truly love today's episode or the podcast in general, please consider giving us a five-star rating. We have over 4,800 of them, and they go such a long way in helping the popularity of our show, as does sharing these episodes, if you like them, with friends and family members. Now, go out there and live life passion struck. Thank you so much for joining us. The purpose of our show is to make passion go viral. And we do that by sharing with you the knowledge and skills that you need to unlock your hidden potential. If you want to hear more, please subscribe to the Passion Struck Podcast on Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your podcasts at. And if you absolutely love this episode, we'd appreciate a five-star rating on iTunes and you sharing it with three of your most growth-minded friends so they can post it as well to their social accounts and help us grow our Passion Struck community. If you'd like to learn more about the show and our mission, you can go to passionstruck.com where you can sign up for our, our newsletter, look at our tools, and also download the show notes for today's episode. Additionally, you can listen to us every Tuesday and Friday for even more inspiring content. And remember, make a choice, work hard, and step into your sharp edges. Thank you again for joining us. 